and take your Bibles and turn to John 17 as we continue our series there. A little editorial note for the outline. We're looking, as I promised last week, at uh, as we saw the first point last week, second point this week, third point next time, okay? Now, here's further editorial. The second point I've adjusted, we're just going to be looking at verses 11b and 12 tonight. 11b and 12. It's a, it's a hard decision to make. We're to, we're to stop that second point because it does run really through the whole chapter. It's, but it's particularly focused right there in that verse and a half concerning the security of the saints. So we are just going to look at 11b and 12 tonight. Let's back up, however, and let's read from verse 1 to remind ourselves of, of what the immediate setting is. As Jesus has told his disciples, the 11, and those others who are following around him, remember uh, Judas has already departed. He has gone out to do what he is going to do. We're that close to the crucifixion. And he has told his disciples in verse 32 of chapter 16, Behold, an hour is coming, has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may Give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, 
which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of God endures forever. Father, thank you for your word. And now we ask that you would bless what's been read. Bless our, our dull sensi- sensibilities. Bless, Father, your spirit that he might illumine our minds, that we might hear and believe and leave this place as we ought to leave. More holy more confident in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, you see there in the insert, the basic thesis, if you will, proposition of this chapter, it's that Jesus, the great high priest, is praying uh, concerning his own work, his own sacrificial work, Glorify me, Father. And then for the, for the results of his work, those people that would benefit from it, he's praying for them, the immediate disciples, and then for us, those who would come later through the preaching of the disciples and, and those who came down through the centuries in succession. Question for you. And this could be a question for any passage of Scripture, any chapter, any book of the Bible. How often do you, how often do you just stop and think about this, just meditate on this? You say, well, it's the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. How much better to meditate could you find than the Lord's Prayer? Not only for the content, but for the example that it sets for us. So, hopefully tonight we'll leave with a better habit of meditating upon Jesus and what he has said. Keep in mind, as I said last week, these are some of the last words that our Lord is going to give to his church before the crucifixion and his his burial. It's amazing to me, as I read, I mentioned this last time, uh, he is, he's talking to these disciples who have not always seemed to know what he's saying and not understanding what he's saying. And yet he says, you have understood. Our confession says that our faith sometimes is very small, very weak. Other times it's a little stronger. But it's faith nevertheless because it's a gift from God and so it's, 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 it's a good faith. It's a useful faith. It's saving faith. It's sanctifying faith. Well, same way with our understanding. Sometimes we understand a little bit, 
And sometimes we understand a little more. And he treats us as if we understood it all, even when it's just a little bit. That's because Jesus understood it fully, and that's imputed to us. As the psalmist said, while our sin's not imputed to us, his righteousness is. And now we come to this this transition here in the middle of, of verse 11, which had I been doing the versification, I would have made this verse 12 uh, here because there's a transition. He's been praying to the Father, Father, now Father, in verse 5. But now he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Remember last week, we considered the disciples' status. Jesus is praying, and as you, as you, as you listen to verses 6 through 11, his prayer, you pick up and learn who we are, what our, what our place is, what our position is. We saw that he says they're those that the Father knew from before the foundation. They were chosen by the Father, and that's why I then chose you in this world. They're the ones who believed and received and kept God's word, Jesus says. That's who, that's who I'm praying for. Not praying for the world, I'm praying for my people. There are those who have glorified Jesus. There are those who were at the moment glorifying Jesus. And they were the ones who would glorify him in the days ahead. And finally, he prayed for them because he was about to leave. And they were going to need more because he was going to be gone. So that's what we saw last time. That's who they are. That's why he prayed for them because they're his people and they're those who have believed in him. Tonight, the second point, the great high priest declares the disciples' security. I've already mentioned this. Notice he begins now praying, Holy Father. Simply want to say this. He does hear as he taught his disciples to do. Here's how you're to pray, he said. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's, he's praying an exemplary prayer here for them. I didn't just tell you to pray, Holy Father. I am praying, Holy Father. Even though they're the same. In essence and power and glory, he honors the Father with that description of holy. And we're to do that. It's important, too, that we notice Jesus didn't grow lax. Being equal with the Father in such a way that he, he as Paul tells us, he didn't think it was for us to grasp. But he didn't grow lax or familiar. And we tend to do that, don't we? In our prayers, in our in our reading of the scriptures, we tend to grow familiar with God. 
I've told some of you remember this. Dear friend, little church that we were in in Memphis. And he would, this was one of those churches where, you know, the pastor might just say, Brother Mark, stand and pray for us as we go tonight, you know. And old William popped up upon the, the request. And whenever he prayed, he would pray, Hey, Lord, how you doing? Well, we've had a wonderful time here tonight. Hope, you, hope you've been happy with us. And you're just like, ooh. He was just too familiar. And so took him to lunch one day and I said, hey, I know, I know this is the way y'all do it here. But up in heaven, that's not the way we do it. We were good friends. And our, we still, fam, our families keep in touch and through various avenues. And he soon didn't pray that kind of prayer. As he learned that, you know, it's, we don't need to talk to God the way we talk to our dogs. And even to our best friends. We can be on a familiar, we can let our, let our, Guard down, so to speak, with with friends, but with God, He's holy, holy, holy. He's righteous, righteous, righteous. He is godly. We we have to always remember, hallowed be Your name, Holy Father. And so we learn that from Jesus here. With that said, notice the disciples are secure because Jesus prays for them to be secure. Holy Father. Keep them in your name. Keep them. It's Jesus praying to the Father to keep them. And he, you know, often I'll point out, Pastor Morris points out, sometimes it's, it's always important. Sometimes it's obvious in the, in the English, but not always. And this is one of those cases where it's not clear but Jesus is issuing uh, a statement, an imperatival statement. Now, we usually think of imperatives as commands, right? Well, there's a sense in which the son here is, is commanding the father to keep them. But it certainly communicates an urgency on Jesus' part. Father, Father. You know, you get the exclamation point in this. You know, Father, keep them. I'm not going to be here. Isn't it wonderful that we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to take care of us? One little old God like Allah couldn't do it. One little old God like Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah couldn't do it. One really strange little God like the Mormons have just could not do it. The Jesus only Pentecostals, they don't have a God that can do it. But the Bible presents to us a God who is big enough to take care of a bunch of renegades like us and make us different and better he can keep us some of you are perhaps thinking right now man when i had all my children at home and when they were little 
I needed, I needed three of me's to keep up with them. One's not enough. I see moms nodding their heads. Dads kind of get phased out and forget about these things. But the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so the Son's praying, Lord, I'm coming back to you. Keep them. Well, what does keep mean? Keep means guard them, watch over them, uh, maintain them, provide daily maintenance. We need daily maintenance. Uh, It means uh, cause them to continue in what we've started here. Some of you grew up in tradition like I did where the emphasis was on being saved as in past tense, some point in the past where you would believe in Jesus and be saved. And then after that, anybody's guess what might go on in the next few years if you live that long. But the reason that Jesus could say those who endure to the end shall be saved is because he was keeping them. He was causing them to continue. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, as Paul said. And we've got the prayer of Jesus here to confirm that. You ever think about that? Jesus prayed it. That settles it, folks. The Father's not going not to say no to the Son. He causes us then. You say, yeah, but, you know, we've got to, we're, we've got, we've got to do our part. You know, the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, and that's part of this word too. It means, Lord, Lord's asking the Father here, cause them to hold on. One of my professors who was Calvinistically, uh, highly Calvinistically inclined at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, he had a course that he loved to teach about the, about the Reformation period, and it was called The Held and the Holding. And you might figure out who the held who held the held position, and who held the holding position. But Dr. Barnard would always conclude by, at the end of the day, he's holding us, and he's causing us to hold on. So if you only emphasize one of those, you're wrong. Because he's holding us, and he's causing us to hang on. And that's what this word is communicating to us. And notice how Jesus says, I've been doing this. The times, the transition's coming. I've been doing it. Now I'm praying for you to do it. But notice, notice how he says it in verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me. Okay. That seems rather sufficient. While I was with them. I did it. I guarded them. I protected them. But then Jesus repeats himself. 
Now, I looked up the meaning of the word tautology because this seems to me to be a tautology. And it is, in a sense. A certain use of tautology is that it's an unnecessary repetition. But the most common use of the word is that it's a repetition for emphasis because it's necessary. And I think it's a tautology in that sense that Jesus had to repeat himself here because we forget sometimes how much we need him to keep us. And now with his ascension, how much we need the father to keep us. And back to chapter 14, how much we need the Holy Spirit to keep us. And so we get pious sometimes and we say, oh, I'm not going to ask the Holy Spirit to do this because he's already supposed to be doing it anyway. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit. But we're to pray for the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us that. So it's impious, really, for us not to ask, not to beseech the Holy Spirit to help us at a given time. When we often pray the prayer of invocation, we invoke the Father and the Son to send the Spirit to work in our midst. Well, he's already promised he's, he's with us and in us. Why do we need to pray that? Because we need him. It's about us. It's not about him. We need the Holy Spirit and we need to acknowledge to everyone around us that we need the Holy Spirit. And we need to acknowledge to God that we need the Holy Spirit. Well, doesn't he know? Yes, he knows. But he wants us to know that he knows. So Jesus, I was keeping them in your name, which you've given me, and I guarded them. And this is how successful he was. Not one of them perished. And then he adds, save for, except for, but for that one, the son of perdition. That was Judas, of course. And that happened not because of any weakness in Jesus, not because of any failure for the divine election to, to, to be to be perfected in this, in this man's life. But it happened because the scripture said it would happen. So that the scripture might be fulfilled. Notice, uh, notice that the keeping... Has a, has a purpose. Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me. So that they may be one even as we are. That's interesting, isn't it? Keep them so that they may be one with us. That would make sense. But it's so that they might be one. 
even as we are. In other words, so that we might be unit, a, a unified body. We as a local church, we as the church beyond these walls, that we might be one. So the next time you're tempted to speak ill of one of your brothers or sisters, for whatever reason, might come to your mind, or to speak ill of some Christian friend in another church, or, you know what? I don't like, you pick a something you don't like. I think we don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. We got too much of this, too much of that. I think we'll, I think we'll visit some other churches for a while. You are acting contrary to Jesus' prayer. Now let me excurse this here. There may be at some point a legitimate reason why you couldn't in good conscience submit to the governance and discipline of this church. The elders to just come off the rail completely. You at that point have to obey God rather than man. But until and unless that happens, Jesus has prayed for you to stay put, to be unified, for us to be one. And how, how much of a one are we to be? As the Father and the Son are one. Back to chapter 10. The Father and I are one. Even in this prayer, he's praying for the oneness. Notice in that very, in the very next verse, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me. In verse 11b, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. It's one name, y'all. That's how much of a one we're to be. That's the reason we try to our best ability as elders of this church to encourage our oneness with other sister churches. Some of you have been around long enough to know that we've tried to to pull off some fifth Sunday joint worship services and sometimes they happened and sometimes they were just us. For whatever reason, that's the reason when one of our sister churches close enough by, they're having a special service like installation of a new pastor. We'll take our services over there on a Sunday evening and participate with them. Because we're one. Jesus prayed that we might be one. And did you notice what this is, how this is all wrapped up? It's keep them in your name. Holy Father, keep them in your name. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. 
keeping them in the name of the Father. It's in the name that Jesus possessed, and Jesus is praying for us to be kept, protected, guarded, maintained, caused to endure in the name. So what's the name about? Well, the name denotes character. It's who we are. Because the name is who he is. Go back to Exodus 3. We just heard recently from Pastor Morris. Moses. Okay, if I go, who do I say sent me? I gotta, I'm going to have to say something. I'm going to have to give them something credible, something legitimate. I can't just go back and say, hey, I'm here. Follow me. And God said, tell them that I am sent you. And if, if you ever noticed, I don't think Pastor Morris said it this way. I would have probably said it this way. I'm always a little shocked when I read that, that Moses didn't say, I am what? You am who? Help me here. But remember, he was on holy ground when that I am came down. He, he knew I am when I am hit his ears. Jesus has been revealing to these, these people around him who he is the whole time. From what's said of him in John's prologue, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, to the I am sayings. Now let's just rehearse some of those. Let me just run through them real quickly and remind you of what we've seen. I have revealed your name to the men you have given me out of the world. He says that right here. That's who I am. I, and that's what I've revealed to them is your name. I've told them all about you. I've been telling them about you, Father. I've been explaining you to them, exegeting you to them. I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. I am the light of the world. And remember, let me just remind you, when Jesus said, I am all these things, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, those who did not have ears to hear that Isaiah prophesied of, remember? You ever thought about those poor prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the others? They basically were given this call from God. Here's what I'm going to send you to do. And by the way, they're not going to listen. Sean and I have much easier calls than the prophets did. We have the promise that you will listen. But they didn't. They were dealing with people that having ears didn't hear and eyes didn't see. And Jesus ran into those folks. Smack dab right into them. And he said, I am. And they said, you claim to be God. Let's stone him to death. So this is not just, when, when Jesus 
pipes up with these I am sayings, he's, he's not expecting arousing, receiving. You know, this is not, oh boy. This is, oh boy. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Chapter 8, verse 12. Before Abraham was, I am. That one really got them. I am the door, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, again, chapter 10. I am the resurrection of the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even if he dies, there he doubled down on it. He not only says, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he, he made a further claim to be God. I'm the one that gives life. And every good Jew knew only God can give life. In these I am sayings, we see this life-giving aspect of his name. And we see the character of the Lord. But we also notice in those the power. The power to give life, the power to sustain life. Not just the character, but the power. And it's all tied up in the name. We, we witness this occasionally in an earthy fashion here, here in this world, don't we? I've heard a lot of people, I, I was blessed to, to know R.C. Sproul and to sit and have nice long talks with him on different occasions about different theological issues. And, and he and Miss Bestel always so sweet. But here's one of the things when he died, I don't know if any of you listened to the, to the service that they had uh, at, at the time of his death, but one of the things that was said over and over was, and something that I've heard others say since then, those who were closest to him, is that when, when R.C. walked into a room, the room changed. Everybody knew. It was the name. It was his character. We see that even in wicked people. There's something in their name. And all of a sudden people, people, things happen. Things change. Well, surely we can understand then. That's arguing now from the lesser. That's the lesser to the greater. This is the greatest. This is the name above names. And he says, I'm praying for them because you gave me a name and in effect what he's saying is now we're going we're to give them that name. We're going to keep them in that name. They're going to have imputed to them the power and the character of, of the name. That's just remarkable. And the benefits of the name. People reap benefits from their name. That's the reason I always encourage people, when you introduce yourself, tell people your last name. There might be some benefits. 
You know, somebody might have a big check waiting for you. But if they don't know your last name, they you. And I know we live in a strange age, security issues now, but nevertheless, still right thing to do. Listen, listen to a few verses from chapter 20 of Psalm. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. We can go at this all day in the Old Testament, by the way. I'm just going to give you a few samples. Here's another one, Psalm 54.1. Save me, O God, how? By your name. Really? Not by your strong right arm? Nope, by your name. Just speak your name, Lord. I am. And I'll be saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, Proverbs 18.10 says. The righteous run into it and is safe. We're kept in the very name of God. Did you notice that? The name of God is our strong tower, our refuge. That's the reason the early church, often you would hear them as they go through the streets, particularly during persecution times and perhaps to the to their death, you'd hear them saying this, Sum Christianus. You say, okay, that's the Latin for the day. What does it mean? It means I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. That's who I am. That's my name. Sum Christianus. That's all they would utter. Sum Christianus. I am a Christian. Because they knew it was the name. As we have already been taught by the Lord to pray in his name. Now he's praying that we would live securely, confidently in his name. So we pray in his name. We live in his name. As with Top Lady, we can and we do sing. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Why will our names not be erased because our name is his name. He's put his name on us. When he adopted us as sons and daughters, we got his name. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will, will not erase. Top lady knew these verses. He knew verses like this from John 17. He knew that we are adopted children, that we legally have God's name. He continues that our name, he says, this is in the last stanza, our name is impressed on his heart. You ought to stop and think about that for a while. Our name is impressed upon God's heart. And then he finally writes, yes, I to the end shall endure. How can you be sure of that, top lady? Well, he tells us, as sure as the earnest is given. That's how he knows he's going to endure. And that's how any of us know that we're going to endure. Is because as, as, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit has been given as an earnest, as a down payment. For us. What does that mean? That means if we could be lost, if we could be pried out of God's almighty hand, the Holy Spirit would cease to exist. 
the Holy Spirit would be lost. But he can't be, for he's eternal, third person of the Holy Trinity. That's how secure we are. That's how kept we are. That's how held we are. Is that held? Yes, I to the end shall endure as sure as the earnest is given more happy, but not more secure. Don't you love that? I would, we would sing that hymn every Sunday if it were just me. Okay? A debtor to mercy alone. I'm just telling you. If, 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 if I decide to, before I die to change my mind and, and let them have a funeral service for me, I just at this point prefer just they'll put me in the ground and y'all all take care of them. But if I change my mind, we're going to sing this. All right? A debtor to mercy alone. More happy but not more secure. The glorified spirits in heaven. You know, that's the only difference between those who've gone on before us and us on this earth. They're more happy than we are, but they're not more secure. Remarkable, isn't it? You say, whoa, wait, they're in his presence. So are we. We are as secure right here as they are in heaven. You say, with the shootings, this, yep. We're not as happy as they are because we still have the presence of sin all around us that make us miserable, that makes us miserable. But we're just as secure because we're in the name. His name is pressed upon us. Our name is in his heart. And you can't take it out. That's off limits. To our grungy little fingers. We're secure in Christ. Well you see why I decided we should stop after a verse and a half. I want to read you one verse only. From all the Old Testament passages that speak to this. This is what Isaiah wrote in chapter 56. To them... I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be eliminated. How's that for security? Isaiah 56 verse 5. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for keeping us in Jesus. And we thank you in his name. Amen.